we have needed, you have provided for us. And we know that you will continue to do that because you are faithful. When we're faithless, you're faithful because you cannot deny yourself. Father, as we approach your word, I pray that we would be able to receive it in our hearts and plant it into our hearts uh, and that we would be changed by hearing from you this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Well, it's good to be in the pulpit once again. And if you have a Bible, go ahead and find your way to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is where we're going to be at in a few places this morning. But we're going to be starting out in John chapter 17, verses 24 through 26. That's going to be on page 903, if you're using one of those black ESV pew Bibles in front of you or in the seat next to you. And by the way, if you don't have... uh, your own Bible, or you don't have the English version which we use here, uh, please take that home with you. That's our gift to you. Uh, in fact, I saw this on my way up here. Um, if you need a large print edition of here, I have one of these to give away. So see me after service. If you want it for somebody else that you know of, <laughs> come and grab it. it. It has much, much bigger print, which I know can be helpful for some. All right. Now, as you are turning there, uh, in case you were not able to be with us last week, we started a new sermon series uh, focusing in on the doctrine of the Trinity, right? That doctrine of God, which has been used throughout church history to try to describe who is the God of the Bible. Because the Bible is clear that we worship one true God. We're monotheists. But yet, that one true God is revealed in Scripture as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But they are one God, yet three distinct persons. Another way that we could think about this, just for me to try to scramble your brain a little bit this morning, is there's God the Father, who is not the Son nor the Spirit, There is the Son, who is not the Father or the Spirit. And there is the Spirit, who is not the Father nor the Son. Yet, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. All right? We're we're awake, right? We're we're tracking with all that. Okay. Now, I know, I know that's confusing. I understand that. And we went uh, to great length last week when I introduced this series that there is going to be limitations to our ability to fully comprehend that reality. We can know God truly as he is revealed in the word, but we will not know him fully. We will not fully figure out God over the next few weeks. Okay, that's, and that's a good thing, right? That's actually a really good thing. Because in a similar way, Right? If, if I go up to Lake Tahoe tonight, which I plan to do, and have a wonderful dinner with my wife, do not tell my kids, because this is our third attempt to have an anniversary dinner celebrating our 10 years of marriage. Okay? And the first two times we planned this, one of the kids ended up in the hospital. Okay? So no kids are going to end up in the hospital. We're going to make it to Tahoe tonight. But if, say, when I go to dinner tonight, and we were to go down to the beach, go down to the water, and I were to take one of those, those little kids' cups that we have, uh, like this. Like, if I were to take one of these little cups, right, and go down to the water and say, you know, Lake Tahoe, 
I want to put all of you into this. It wouldn't work, right? It wouldn't work. But it doesn't take away from the beauty and the majesty that Lake Tahoe is. But in and of myself, I can't bind Tahoe to my limits, right? I can't bind Tahoe to fit inside my limits of that little cup. So in a similar way, church, when we're studying the Trinity, we have to recognize that an infinite God will not fit into a finite mind. And that's a good thing. Because we want a God who is bigger than us. And so our goal for this series is not to figure out God, but to better behold Him. To better appreciate the God who has been revealed in creation. Or as one of my favorite authors puts it, to actually delight in the Trinity. That's our goal in this series, is delight in the Trinity. Now with that being said, today's sermon then is going to once again, kind of focus in on some of those deep areas of the Trinity. And I want to focus in on who God is, because I believe it's important for us, is before we look at how is, how is God interacting with His creation as Father, how is God interacting with, with creation you know, as Son, as Spirit, before we go there, I want to look at, but how do we actually see God operating within Itself, within himself. Or another way to say it is, what was God like before creation? What was God like before creation? So we're going to try to see what is God like from eternity past and will continue in eternity forward. How does the Trinitarian relationship before anything was created, how did that exist? I think that will actually help us then understand how God works in our world. And I hope what we will see in looking at this internal trinity, or what's known as the imminent trinity, we'll see of who God is and how that's important for us, because this is important for us, this, this carries over to us too. What you do always comes out of who you are. Okay? What you do always flows out of who you are. So we want to focus in on who is God. And to start that, we're going to be looking at those words recorded in John chapter 17. It's actually a recorded prayer of Jesus as he's talking to God the Father. And at times during this prayer, he, I think what we see is, is Jesus kind of pulling back the curtain a little bit. And he's able to, he's shown us, this is who God has always been. So we're going to see that. But before we actually look at the passage, there's one more thing that I want to do, and that's simply to pray. Is I want to pray for you, and I ask as I'm doing that, pray for me, and then we'll look at the word together. So let's go ahead and pray together. Well, Father, before we look at your word, uh, we just want to confess, we are absolutely dependent on you for all things. We're dependent on you to just awaken our hearts, to give us ears to hear, eyes to see who you are. So God, I pray for every person inside this church, even those who um, are, are worshiping with us online, that God, that you would just grant uh, just the illumination to see who you are truly. God, I pray for our kiddos. 
uh, next door and those faithful teachers who are discipling even the youngest hearts that have been walking into these halls. But the goal, whether it's in the room next door or it's in this room, Lord, we have one simple goal this morning. And that's that we would be able to walk out of here loving you more than when we first walked in. And we need your help in that. So Jesus, in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. John chapter 17. I'm going to be picking up in verse 24. It will be on the screen as well. Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these, these know that you have sent me. Verse 26. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Church, that is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Yeah, thanks be to God indeed. We're just, we're just thankful for God's word. That's why we say that. Okay, so now the reason that I wanted to look at that passage this morning is because I do believe that it highlights some of that eternal relations of the Trinity, of the Godhead. For example, we, we just saw that Jesus reflects on the love that God the Father had for him before the foundation of the world. Did you catch that? He said it a couple times. Which is another way of saying... I want them to know about the eternal love of God the Father. Because God has existed outside of time. He is not bound by time and space like you and I are. And so even though, so even before there was creation, rather, what we'll see, and I'll unpack this, that God the Father was eternally loving God the Son. And I'll explain why that's important for Christians to, to know and understand. But here's where I want to take us this morning. If you're a note taker and you kind of want a roadmap of where I'm going, here's your three points. Okay? First, I'm going to look at the eternal relations of the Trinity. Okay? And these terms are, are, might be new to you. That's okay. The eternal relations of the Trinity. Number two, we're going to look at the internal simplicity of the Trinity. And then we'll look at the eternal plan of the Trinity. Okay? That's where we're going to go. That's your roadmap. So starting with the eternal relations of the Trinity, we see Jesus talking to God as Father, right? There's this relations built into the way that it always has been. So when Jesus says, Father, right? When he prays, Father, that's communicating something. Meaning that God had eternal, God the Father had eternal relations with each other. It wasn't as if once Jesus, right, came into this world, right, took on humanity, that that's when he began this relations with God the Father. What we see is it was always there. It's always been there. In fact, it's been a perfect harmony between the three distinguished persons of the Godhead. And so what we see from Jesus is him even just using that language of God the Father 
it gives us some, some clues about these eternal relations. If God has always existed as God the Father, then Jesus has always existed as God the Son. And God the Holy Spirit has always existed as Spirit. Meaning that none of those titles, none of that of who they were and are, was dependent on creation. Right? Those titles were from eternity past. Like they weren't dependent on the created world. As in some titles are. Like when we speak of God the Father as ruler. That came when he created the world. Or when Jesus took on the title of the Messiah. That came, right, when there was a Messiah, a Savior, needed for the redemption of the world. But what we're looking at then, is we're, we're looking back, right? We're looking back and seeing these titles of God as Father, Son, and Spirit, and that they existed outside of creation. That they're eternal relations. So before God was that ruler, what was he? He was father. He is father. And he is father because he has the eternal son, Jesus. Right? The eternal begotten son. And the reason that Jesus is the eternal son is because he has the eternal father. Father. Now, here's why I want to take a moment and look at me. This is where our language, especially in English, will not be able to convey the reality in which we're speaking of. Because in our world, for example, in our world, to beget life, right, to have a begotten son, to beget life, in, in, right, in our context, means to start life. It means to start life. That life flows out of that person. For example, I have a son, Levi, right? Looks like me, just two feet tall, okay? But we look exactly the same. So I, as his father, I played a significant role in his life. I begot my son. My son was generated out of me. So he had a starting point, right? There was once a day that I was not a father. But then when I had my kids and had my son... Right? I became a father. That's not the case with God. Okay? That's, that's where there's limits to our language. And so when we see the language in the Bible or in some of those historical creeds, like the Nicene Creed, which we read last week, where it says that Jesus is the only begotten Son of the Father, we can wrongly humanize it, church, and make it and put it into our world and say, oh, that means that at some point in time, the Father started the life of the Son. He was a created being. And this is where that concept of eternal relations matters. Because although the Bible describes Jesus as the begotten Son of the Father, it's not talking that there was one time the, the Son wasn't, or the Father wasn't a father. The Bible uses that language to describe the relationship between the Father and the Son. That there's this deep intimacy between them. So it's not suggesting that Jesus was created by God, the Father. He was eternally begotten. So he's always been that way. Jesus has always been the Son. And he's been always eternally connected to the Father. 
And similarly with the Holy Spirit, the Nicene Creed points out that the Holy Spirit eternally proceeded from the Father and the Son. That he also was not created. He was not begotten, though. He doesn't, there's, a, there's a difference in relationship. But he has eternal relations with the Father and the Son. I know it's difficult to grasp, right? right? We're, we're hitting right, the, the glass ceiling of our own comprehension. That's okay. But doesn't mean that we shouldn't consider who is God. In these titles... Right, the way that the Bible describes himself, what, the way the Bible describes God as these three people, these three titles, it's communicating this unity and harmony between the three. And these names, and honestly, they, they tell us something. Right? They tell us something about the nature and the character of God. These were those eternal titles. Names in the Bible, church, they mean something. They mean something. Not always the case with us, right? I have a dog named Harper, a St. Bernard named Harper. Do you know how Harper got her name? Just randomly, Mia said, I want a dog named Harper, okay? There's no meaning behind it, okay? That's not the case with God. So when Jesus refers to God as Father, right, he's, he's pulling back that curtain to try to tell us and to communicate something of who God is, a perfect Father, a father who perfectly loves his son. And it's an eternal love. A perfect love that a father has for a son. In many ways, quite literally, it's a love that's outside of this world. It's out of this world. Because it existed before creation. And so when Jesus is referring to this love that the God the Father had for him before the foundation of the world, it's a, a love unlike anything that we could possibly experience in this world. Right? That's the point of this. That's why Jesus is saying this. That love, it's pure. It's never-ending. It could never be exhausted. Or oh, I love this. Here's a, here's a quote by John Owen. He says this, The Father's love for the Son is the fountain and prototype of all love. Of all love. So what does that mean? What, right, what, is that, what are the gospel implications or gospel purposes of that? It means that when you believe, right, and you put your faith in Christ, right, you identify with Him. You come to an understanding that Jesus is a Savior and you are a sinner and what Jesus went and did on the cross, it counted for you. When you believe that, right? When you become a Christian, the Bible says this. The Bible says you actually become children of God. Children of God. That you actually become a part of the family. And it's not as like some, you know, mistreated stepkid. It's not that way at all. Bible actually says that you are a fellow heir with who? With Christ. With Christ. So meaning, well, what does Christ have? He has the love of the Father. So everything in which the Father loves the Son, Jesus is saying, I want, you to, I want to welcome you into that. By believing and trusting in me, I'm bringing you into the family which that love exists. And so the Father's love for the Son is then applied to you, Christian, through the Spirit. 
That's why eternal relations matter. That's why the Holy Spirit matters. That's why the Trinity matters. And so we can take heart knowing that the love which God shares within the Trinity, within the Trinity, if it's eternal, it means it will never change. It will never change. Think about it this way. God the Father will never one day say, you know what? I'm tired of being the Father. I'm tired of having you in my family. And he will stop being our Father, and we will no longer be a part of his family. That will never happen. And we, Do you know why it will never happen? It's because God has always been the Father. Eternally the Father. So he'll never get tired of it. He'll never get tired of it. You guys tracking with me? Okay. All right, let's go to point number two then. Point number two. I think this text also reveals to us this idea of the eternal simplicity of the Trinity. Looking back at our text, you can see that Jesus talked about two things. He talked about the glory in which he had with the Father, and he talked about the love in which exists between the Father and the Son. Now what I would like to do, and this is, this is going to be important for us, is I want to introduce you to a doctrine known as divine simplicity. Divine simplicity. Now, simplicity does not mean basic or easy to understand, as often we use the term simple. In the theological world, divine simplicity is the way theologians have talked about the oneness of God. The oneness of God. That God is not composed of different parts, but he is both one in his essence and in his attributes. Here's a way to think about it. And I stole this from a theologian named Matthew Barrett. God is not like a pumpkin pie. You're like, wow, that's, that's quite the study you did this week. <laughs> Thanks for that. Here's what I mean. Is if you were to take a pumpkin pie, what we cannot do is take that pumpkin pie and say, okay, this pumpkin pie is God, and if I take a sliver out of here, this represents God's holiness. This sliver represents God's goodness. We can't parse out the essence of who God is into these parts, because no doubt, especially the way that I cut pies, they would not be even parts, right? And so we would see, oh, I guess his holiness is more than his love. Divine simplicity helps us to remember that there's a wholeness of God, that you can't piece him out. You can't cut him up in that way. And when it comes to then God's attributes or his essence, things like his love, like his love, cannot be separated from who he is. And so let's look at, let's look at love specifically. I think this will help us. When Jesus talked about the love in which he had with the Father before creation, what we just read, he's, not, he's referring to the essence of love, not just the attribute or just the action of God's love. He is desiring that creation, right, us, and specifically those whom God has chosen to believe in him, will experience not just the act of love, but the essence of love. And what's the essence of love? It's God himself. You know, the author of this gospel, of the gospel of John, 
uh, later on in the New Testament, as he's writing to encourage these, these early Christians, he, I think he understood what Jesus was talking about here. And so in his own letter to the early church, he says this in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. It should be on the screen as well. He says this. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8, this is important. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Is love. Showing us, so what John just showed us, is that God cannot be broken up. Right? That divine simplicity. There's wholeness to God. That God does not merely show goodness. He doesn't merely show love, but he is good. He is love. His attributes are his essence. Practically, what, is, what does that have to do with anything? Well, practically, it means that then we don't have to look elsewhere for those things. Right? We don't have to look outside of God for love. We don't have to look outside of God for goodness. We don't have to ever think that in some capacity, God is going to stop being good or God is going to stop being loving. It's a part of who he is. It's why the Bible repeatedly talks about how God cannot go against his very nature. Like, God cannot lie. Why is that? Because God is truth. He's not capable of lying. Or that God cannot deny himself. Because it would contrast who he is. Right? This is, this is us right, peering into those, those deep corridors of who God is. And furthermore, I think it shows us that God then does not just give one expression of love. Right? one expression, maybe one religious expression of love, but he gives us perfect love, ultimate love. It flows out of who he is. Another example we could look at, and let's do that, is John 5.26, when it talks about life. John 5.26. Jesus, this is once again Jesus speaking. He says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. So it's not like we have to look for just a form of life in which God gives. But we can look to God and say he is the giver of life. God is life. Life is found within him. Because God is simple and he is one. So if the Father has life, who also has life? The Son has life. The Spirit has life. They are one in essence and in attributes. So if we think about this, when it comes to our own salvation, when it comes to the internal working of the Trinity, where, when we believe in the good news of Jesus, and the Bible promises that those who believe that you will be sealed with the Holy Spirit, that's a sealment of eternal life. It can't be taken away. It's not as if God then just gives you Hey, here's another chance at life. I hope you don't screw up this one too. No, he gives you eternal life. A perfect life. 
So then the life that we give, that we are given by him, we can't mess it up. And it also, I think, should spur us on to actually want to tell people about this God. Because if this is true, right, if what the Bible just said is true, that God is life, that life flows out of him, then we don't, we don't want to get into the game that's so popular in our culture of this, hey, you just do you, I'll do me. We can't do that as Christians. Because if we believe that God is life, then the only life that's worthy to be ever had can only be found in him. So we're going to go and we're going to preach Jesus, who has revealed this trinity, right, this godhood to us. We're not going to settle for you do you, and I'll do me. Because it, it will matter in the end. Eternal life can only be found in the one true God. All right. Almost there, guys. Hang in there. Point number three. But let's do a recap. We talk about the eternal relations of the Trinity. We talk about eternal simplicity of the Trinity. And now I want to talk to you about the eternal plan of the Trinity. The eternal plan of the Trinity. So the last thing is we're going to look at the internal working of God, right? That imminent Trinity when it comes to actually the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because not only was the love of God perfectly manifested between the Father and the Son and the Spirit, not only did that happen in eternity past, but so did the plan of redemption happen in eternity past. I think I have a slide for this, uh, Taylor, but I want to pull back to that call to worship that we looked at at the very beginning of our service from Ephesians chapter 1. Do we have a slide for that? Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. It says this. It says, of the world. So, here's something to, to talk about at lunch. If you are a believer this morning, right? If you're a Christian this morning, and if you're not a Christian, we're glad you're here. You're, you're welcome here for as long as you want. But if you are a Christian this morning... What that text just told us is that the Trinity talked about you before the foundation of the world. Your name was brought up before he created everything. Think about that for a second. That before God created the earth, the mountains, Lake Tahoe, everything, he had a discussion about you and saying, I want to save that's the God we worship. So he had predestined your adoption into his family because of what? Because you, have already, you were going to show yourself to be worthy? Not a chance. He chose you because of his love for you. Because of his love for you. And so what we see, church, is God's love is first not seen in creation. It's, it's even not even first seen in when Jesus stepped foot into our world. But love is first seen, seen to us. In eternity past, that God the Father loved the Son, and the Son loved the Father, and the Spirit carried and connected the love of God with wholeness and completion within the Trinity. And even with all of that going on, your name was in that discussion. And I think it's important to note, and I'm going to spend more time on this in the weeks to come, 
that when God drew up this plan of redemption before the foundation of the world, it was not as if the Father had this plan, had one plan. The Spirit had his own plan, and Jesus had another plan, and they just kind of tried to put all those together and compromise where they needed to. But what we know about God, and we will see this in Scripture, is God was never acting in opposition within the Trinity. The Father, Son, and the Spirit all desire the same thing. Although they are distinct, there is one plan of redemption. Jesus repeatedly talks about this in the, with the oneness of God. He says this in John 17, 21. We are one. Or in John 10, 30, he says, The Father and I are one. And if you have your Bibles open, you can jump down to uh, chapter 17, verse 11. And we can read that Jesus prayed that we would be one, the church would be one, just as the Father and Jesus are one. You see, church, there was unity, there was harmony between the Godhead. But how they are one, well, Jesus is referring to then to the mission of the church. Just as, this, as the Godhead was unified in the mission, Jesus says, I want the church to be unified in the mission. That mission to save sinners, right? To reconcile them back to a holy God so they can be adopted and brought into the family. And over the next three weeks, what we're going to see is what's called the economy of the Trinity. The economy of the Trinity. And that's just a fancy way of saying Okay, how does the Father work in his, in his created world? How does the Son work in his created world? How does the Spirit work in his created world? We're going to spend the next couple weeks looking at that. But what I want you to leave here today, really thinking about and pondering, is that all that we have seen God do, right? Everything which you experience as a Christian has always come out of who God is. That when God loved you and bestowed on you this grace and mercy, it flowed out of a God who was full of grace and mercy. That the love that you have experienced was not God just happened to be having a loving day. Right? You caught him at a good time. Right? You prayed just at the right time and God was like, oh, you know, I'm having a pretty good day. So why not save you? That's not what the Bible says. Because God is love. He will always respond in love. He always responds in accordance with who he is. And the best thing about that love then, church, it also means it's not dependent on you. Right? You don't make God loving. God is loving. His love is not dependent on you. It's not dependent on anything in creation. Church, I think that's a big God. That's the kind of God I can get behind. That's the type of God that I want to give my life to. The one who not only created it, but knew every detail about it even before it began. So we're going to continue just to worship a God who from all eternity has existed as the Father who has given his love to his son in the fellowship of the Spirit. And this trinity decided not only to create our world, but decided to enter 
into it with the plan of redemption, the hope of the gospel. And by the way, God is not finished with that plan. He's not done yet. All the details that God has promised before the ages began, another way to say before the foundation of the world, cannot be changed because they were a perfect plan. God is not looking down at the world and going, oh man, I did not see them doing this. i got to change what I was going to do. When God formed the plan of redemption before the world began, it was a perfect plan, and he's going to carry it out to completion. And know how we know he's going to carry it out to completion? Well, we can look back and see all of what God has already done and believe that what he has started, he will bring to completion. But for now, what's our role? Let's share about what God has done. Let's share about this. Let's share about the triune God who Jesus has revealed to us. What God will do in making all things right. Church, the triune God is on the move. Let's just jump onto that train. All right, let's pray. Well, Father, I want to just end our time just remembering that you are a God who is much bigger than we're even able to comprehend. But God, I thank you that you are a God that's bigger than my limitations. God, I want to delight in you. I want to delight in the Trinity because it reflects who you are. So God, I pray for every every person, man, woman, child in this room, that they would leave here just knowing you better. And and God, I also want to pray that for those in here that may not know you at all, that God, you would reveal yourself to them. That they would just see not just words on the page, but just realness to, to who you are and to realness to who they are. And that they would be able just to embrace you as Lord and Savior this morning. Father, I thank you. And it's in your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're able, let's go ahead and stand once again together. And let's respond in song.